0: Love in a Cottage by Francis A. Duravage, recorded for Love Stories, Volume 3, by William Jones, Bonita Springs, Florida. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Love in a Cottage by Francis A. Duravage. Tell me, Charlie. "'Who is that fascinating creature in blue that waltzes so divinely?' asked young Frank Belmont of his friend Charles Hastings, as they stood, playing wallflower for the moment, at a military ball. "'Julia Heathcote,' answered Charles with a half-sigh, "'an old flame of mine. I proposed, but she refused me.' "'On what ground?' simply because I had a comfortable income. Her head is full of romantic notions, and she dreams of nothing but love in a cottage. She contends that poverty is essential to happiness, and money its bane. Have you given up all hopes of her? Entirely. In fact, I'm engaged. Then uh, you have no objections to my addressing this dear romantic angel? None whatever. But I see my fiancée. Excuse me, I must walk through the next quadrille with her. Frank Belmont was a stranger in Boston, a New Yorker, immensely rich and fashionable, but his reputation had not preceded him, and Charlie Hastings was the only man who knew him in New England. He procured an introduction to the beauty from one of the managers, and soon danced and talked himself into her good graces. In fact, it was a clear case of love at first sight on both sides. The enamoured pair were sitting apart, enjoying a most delightful tete-a-tete. Suddenly Belmont heaved a deep sigh. Oh, "'Why do you sigh, Mr. Belmont?' asked the fair Julia, somewhat pleased with this proof of sensibility. Is this not a gay scene? "'Alas, yes,' replied Belmont gloomily, "'but fate does not permit me to mingle habitually in scenes like this. They only make my ordinary life doubly gloomy. And even here I deem to see the shadow of a fiend waving me away. What right have I to be here?' "'What fiend do you allude to?' asked Miss Heathcote, with increasing interest. "'A fiend hardly presentable in good society,' replied Belmont, bitterly. "'One could tolerate a Mephistopheles, a dignified fiend, with his pockets full of money. But my tormentor, if personified, would appear with seedy boots and a shocking bad hat.' "'How absurd!' It is too true, sighed Belmont, and the name of this fiend is Poverty. Are you poor? Yes, madame, I am poor, and when I would fain render myself agreeable in the eyes of beauty, in the eyes of one I could love, this fiend whispers to me, Beware, you have nothing to offer her but love in a cottage. Mr. Belmont! said julia with sparkling eyes and a voice of unusual animation although there are sordid souls in this world who only judge of the merits of an individual by his pecuniary possessions i am not one of that number i respect poverty there is something highly poetical about it and i imagine that happiness is oftener found in the humble cottage than beneath the palace roof. Belmont appeared enchanted with this encouraging avowal. The next day, after cautioning his friend Charlie to say nothing of his actual circumstances, he called on the widow Heathcote and her fair daughter in the character of the poor gentleman. The widow had very different notions from her romantic offspring, and when Belmont candidly confessed his poverty on soliciting permission to address Julia, he was very politely requested to change the subject and never mention it again. The result of all this maneuvering was an elopement the bell of the ball jumping out of a chamber window on a shed and coming down a flight of steps to reach her lover for the sake of being romantic when she might just as well have walked out the front door the happy couple passed a day in new york city and then frank took his beloved to his cottage an irish hack conveyed them to a miserable shanty in the environs of new york where they alighted and frank escorting the bride into the apartment which served for parlor kitchen and drawing-room and was neither papered nor carpeted introduced her to his mother much in the way claude Melnote presents pauline the old woman who was peeling potatoes hastily wiped her hands and face with a greasy apron and saluted her daughter as she called her on both cheeks can it be possible thought julia that this vulgar creature is my belmont's mother frank screamed the old woman you would better go right upstairs and take off them clothes for the boys been sent out of em more than fifty times frank borrowed the clothes ma'am she added to julia by way of explanation to look smart when he went down east The bridegroom retired on this hint, and soon reappeared in a pair of faded nankeen pantaloons reaching to about the calf of the leg, a very shabby black coat, out at the elbows, a ragged black vest, and instead of his varnished leather boots, a pair of immense cowhide brogans. "'Now,' said he, sitting quietly down by the cooking-stove, "'I began to feel at home.' Ah, this is delightful, isn't it, dearest? And he warbled, Though never so humble, there's no place like home. Julia's heart swelled so that she could not utter a word. Dearest, said Frank, I think you told me you had no objections to smoking? None in the least, said the bride. I rather like the flavor of a cigar. Oh. A cigar, replied Belmont, that would never do for a poor man. And, oh, horror, he produced an old clay pipe, and filling it from a little newspaper parcel of tobacco, began to smoke with keen relish. Dinner! Dinner! he exclaimed at length. Ah, thank you, mother. I'm as hungry as a bear. Codfish and potatoes, Julia. Not a, a very tempting fare. What of that? Our aliment is love. Yes, and by way of a treat, added the old woman, I've been and gone and bought a whole pint of Albany ale and three cream cakes from the candy shop next block. Poor Julia pleaded indisposition and could not eat a mouthful. Before Belmont, however, that codfish and potatoes and the ale and cream cakes disappeared with a very unromantic and unloverlike like velocity. At the close of the meal, a thundering double-knock was heard at the door. "'Come in!' cried Belmont. A low-browed man in a green waistcoat entered. "'Now, Mr. Belmont,' he exclaimed, in a strong Hibernian accent, "'are you ready to go to work? By the powers, if I don't see you!' sail to-morrow on the shop-board, I'll discharge ye without a character, and ye shall starve on the top of that." "'Tomorrow morning, Mr. Maloney,' replied Belmont meekly, "'I'll be at my post.' "'And it'll be mighty healthy for you to do that same,' replied the man as he retired. "'Belmont, speak. Tell me,' gasped Julia, "'who is that man, that loafer?' HE IS MY EMPLOYER, ANSWERED BELMONT, SMILING. AND HIS PROFESSION? HE IS A TAILOR. AND YOU? I AM A journeyman TAILOR AT YOUR SERVICE, A LABORIOUS AND THANKLESS CALLING IT EVER WAS TO ME. BUT NOW, DEAREST, AS I DRIVE THE HISSING GOOSE ACROSS THE SMOKING STEAM, I SHALL THINK OF MY OWN ANGEL AND MY DEAR COTTAGE AND BE HAPPY. That night, Julie retired, weeping to her room in the attic. that air counterpin darter said the old woman, "I worked with these here old hands, ain't it, putty? I hope you'll sleep well here. There's a broken pane of glass, but I've put one of Frank's old hats in it, and I don't think you'll feel the draught." there used to be a good many rats here but i don't think they'll trouble you now for frank's been a paizanon of them left alone julia threw herself into a chair and burst into a flood of tears even belmont had ceased to be attractive in her eyes the stern privations that surrounded her banished all thoughts of love the realities of life had cured her and one day of all her Quixotic notions. "'Well, Julia, how do you like poverty and love in a cottage?' asked Belmont, entering in his bridal dress. "'Not so well, sir, as you seem to like that borrowed suit,' answered the bride, reddening with vexation. "'Very well. You shall suffer it no longer. My carriage awaits your orders at the door.' YOUR carriage, INDEED? YES, DEAREST, IT WAITS BUT FOR YOU, TO BEAR US TO BELMONT HALL, MY LOVELY VILLA ON THE HUDSON. AND YOUR MOTHER? I HAVE NO MOTHER, ALAS, THE OLD WOMAN DOWNSTAIRS IS AN OLD SERVANT OF THE FAMILY. THEN YOU'VE BEEN DECEIVING ME, FRANK, HOW WICKED. IT WAS ALL DONE WITH A GOOD MOTIVE. You were not born to endure a life of privation, but to shine the ornament of an elegant and refined circle. I hope you will not love me the less when you learn that I am worth nearly half a million. That's the melancholy fact, and I can't help it. Oh, Frank, cried the beautiful girl, and hid her face in his bosom. She presided with grace at the elegant festivities of Belmont Hall, and seemed to support her husband's wealth and luxurious style of living with the greatest fortitude and resignation, never complaining of her comforts, nor murmuring a wish for living in a cottage. End Love in a Cottage by Francis A. Duravage